Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. Well, the blockbuster season has certainly ended with a bang, but it was always going to once the internet belatedly caught up with the fact that two extremely high-profile movies were coming out on the same day. Barbie and Oppenheimer may not have had much in common otherwise, but of course, that was the point. Social media leapt on the so-called Barbenheimer phenomenon and spent the last two weeks coming up with new ways to joke about it. This could mean extremely weird things for our world. This would be catastrophic! In fact, neither Barbie nor Oppenheimer are really blockbusters at all in the modern meaning of the word. These eyes of blockbuster is a business proposition put together in a boardroom made up of certain specific elements, a familiar title, stars, special effects and so on. Writers and directors are usually added at the last minute. You have no idea what's coming. Can you kill it? But Oppenheimer was a passion project by one of the most reputable writer-directors in the business, Christopher Nolan, and so was Barbie, despite toy manufacturer Mattel's attachment to the film. It was entirely the vision of writer-director Greta Gerwig. These weren't blockbusters, these were actual movies. I just don't know who I am without you. You're Ken. But it's Barbie and Ken. There is no just Ken. Doesn't seem to matter what I do. It's been so long since we've seen a big movie from a significant top director, let alone two in one week, that both the public and the critics have gone a little crazy, in a good way. All that slightly silly publicity, the hourglass versus the egghead, who will win, has resulted in a run on the cinemas we haven't seen since before the start of the pandemic. And you can't argue with a full house. Keep everyone there until it's dark. Let's go recruit some scientists. Another curious and heartening fact was that the box office boom came from two undeniably well-made intelligent films. OK, one was about the end of the most covered event in movies, the Second World War, while the other was built around a famous toy. But these weren't dumb, formulaic concoctions, even if their subject matter was so familiar. And the public lapped it up. Ready? Showtime. Does this mean that Hollywood may be forced to change its ways and allow its most talented filmmakers to go their own way for a while? Well, don't hold your breath, probably, but let's at least enjoy the win this week. Goodness knows it's not a great time for the film industry otherwise. So they opened their big mouths and out came talk. Talk, talk. 
That's where the popcorn business comes in. You buy yourself a bag and plug up your ears. Look at them in the front offices. The masterminds. They took the idols and smashed them. The continuing dispute between the big film studios and the people who write for and act in their films is not going away any time soon. One of the most disturbing issues at stake, I gather, is the role of AI in the future creation of big movies. After all, why employ pesky real-life writers and actors when a machine can do the same job at the flick of a switch? R2-D2, where are you? At last. Where have you been? What are we going to do? We'll be sent to the spice mines of Kessel or smashed into who knows what. Don't you call me a mindless philosopher, you overweight glob of grease. What plans? What are you talking about? I think it's safe to say the success of Barbie and Oppenheimer has thrown a spanner in the works of that theory for a while. I'm certain a machine couldn't have come up with anything as quirky and individual as either of them, though goodness knows they've been happily blending them in subsequent memes from here to kingdom come. Build a town. Build it fast. Keep everyone there until the bomb is done. Where are you doing here? I'm coming with you. Did you bring uranium? Stop already. Of course, this isn't the first time that a cash-in movie for a popular culture phenomenon delivered something rather better than it deserved. It wasn't even the first one this year. Oh, we're the Mario Brothers and plumbing's a game. We're not like the others who get all the fame. When your sink is in trouble, you could call us on the double. We're faster than the others, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Huh. It's me, the Mario. And the Luigi. Are you with Mario? After decades of trying, the multi-billion dollar gaming industry finally inspired both a hit movie and a critically acclaimed TV series in 2023. The Super Mario Brothers movie succeeded where dozens had failed by sticking close to its family-friendly roots. And The Last of Us proved just as successful on the small screen. If you don't think there's hope for the world, why bother going on? You haven't seen the world, so you don't know. Non-gamers were astonished at how sophisticated The Last of Us was, while old hands were astonished the rest of us were so astonished. Films about popular culture phenomena have often punched above their weight, though, like Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. You and your friends better batten down the hatches. When it hits, you're all going to wonder how you ever thought you could live so large and leave so little for the rest of us. Nolan's freedom to make whatever he likes for the rest of his career rests almost entirely on his success with Batman Begins, The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. And he's exploited that licence to the limit with a string of big, serious, often impenetrable but undeniably entertaining epics. We create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream and they fill it with their secrets. Then you break in and steal it. Well, it's not strictly speaking legal. Personally, I find Nolan's films easier to admire than to love, perhaps. And the biggest movie this week was equally prepared to do it without any help from me. Barbie was well and truly aimed at the Barbie aware. Since the beginning of time, since the first little girl ever existed, there have been dolls. 
I haven't seen as much excited anticipation over a new movie since, I don't know, how long? The first Avatar, maybe? In the case of Barbie, it's partly because of who's involved. Who doesn't love Margot Robbie, or, to a slightly lesser degree, her equally ridiculously good-looking co-star, Ryan Gosling? And, of course, director Greta Gerwig, who, with partner Noah Baumbach, wrote the script. But the dolls were always and forever baby dolls. Until... But the main attraction, believe it or not, seems to be Barbie herself, or itself. The original fashion model was launched in 1959 and never looked back. Countless spin-offs followed the first generic Barbie, including the famously vacuous Ken, who even I'd heard of, and all sorts of others I hadn't. Skipper, Stacy, Alan, not to mention countless alternative versions of Barbie herself. Hi, Barbie! Hi, Ken! Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. All of which I was almost entirely ignorant of, and unlike many popular culture spin-off movies, Gerwig didn't go to much trouble filling in the newbies. Keep up, she and her narrator Helen Mirren seem to be saying. Certainly the audience I saw it with had no problem doing just that. Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and planned choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. Unsurprisingly, the majority of the people I shared the cinema with were female, ranging in age that day between about 11 and 30, though there were some indulgent mums and grannies as well. Yes, there were a few chaps, some attracted by Margot Robbie, I suspect, but not all. The chap on my left was clearly a Barbie nut from way back and was having the world's greatest and loudest good time. I thought I might stay over tonight. Why? Because we're girlfriend boyfriend. To do what? I'm actually not sure. I mentally called him Smithers after the Simpsons character, who was equally enthusiastic about Malibu Stacy, the Barbie surrogate in that series. So here we are in Barbie world, where Barbie and her many Barbie friends spend their lives with permanent smiles on their faces. You can find me under the lights, diamonds under my eyes. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday, and so is tomorrow, and every day from now until forever. And why wouldn't they? They're models, astronauts, presidents. Barbies rule the world. The drone-like Kens, on the other hand, don't seem to do anything much. They hang out on the beach, suck up to the Barbies and squabble among themselves. But even paradise isn't perfect. Do you guys ever think about dying? When my heart Suddenly Barbie, the Margot Robbie Barbie, finds herself beset with existential angst. Just a bit. What could be going wrong with her perfect life? She asks around, but no one seems able to help. Some things have been happening that might be related. Cold shower falling off my roof. Ah! And my heels are on the ground. (gasps) 
So she decides to confer with the oldest inhabitant of Barbie World, the raggedy weird Barbie, played inevitably by Kate McKinnon. She offers Matrix-type insight into the reality of Barbie World and the real world. You have to go to the real world. You can go back to your regular life, or you can know the truth about the universe. The choice is now yours. The first one, the high heel. You have to want to know, OK? Do it again. Barbie takes off in her pink Barbie car, heading to the real world, and singing one of the many Barbie-esque songs in the film, she discovers she's not alone. Her loyal boyfriend, Ken, whatever a boyfriend is, has been hiding in the back seat. Closer I am to Closer I am to I'm coming with you. OK. So off we go to the part of the real world that's as close to Barbie world as it's possible to be. Los Angeles Beach, California, where Barbie and Ken get a rude awakening. Barbies clearly don't rule the world here. Wow, this is the real world. <laughs> What's going on? Why are these men looking at me? Yeah, they're also staring at me. Welcome to the patriarchy, a bizarro opposite world where it's men who rule everything and have all the cool jobs while the women are forced into subordinate Ken-type roles. In fact, the worst offender seems to be, surely not, the Mattel Corporation itself. It's entirely run by men in suits, headed by Will Ferrell. Barbie in the real world. That's impossible. If this got out, this could mean extremely weird things for our world. This would be... Feral played a similar sort of role in the Lego movie, goofy, blundering and idiotic. But unlike that film, Barbie has serious intent beneath the glossy, jokey facade. Greta Gerwig is unapologetically feminist, even in a movie as pink, apparently silly and capitalist-friendly as this. We haven't played with Barbie since we were, like, five years old. Oh. No one rests until this doll... The crisis in Barbie is where suddenly Ken gains a purpose. Suddenly he's told that it's cool to be a man and he starts throwing his weight around, first in the real world and then back in Barbie world. Yes, it's catastrophic. No, I won't let you do just one appendectomy. But I'm a man. But not a doctor. Can I talk to a doctor? You are talking to a doctor. Can I need a clicky pen? No. A sharp thing? No. There he is. Doctor! Somebody get security. Meanwhile, Barbie's quest to find the source of all that existential angst takes her to her original owners, a kid called Sasha and her mother, Gloria. And it turns out the whole Barbie phenomenon was a reaction against the impossible expectations raised by the patriarchy. Everything is backwards here. Girls hate me. Who are you? Oh, and I keep getting arrested. I also just learned to cry. First I got one tear and then I got a whole bunch. OK, before the end, it did get a bit lectury before it got back on track. But while the 11-year-old part of the audience became a little excluded by these bits, they stayed with it. This flies in the face of all those internet pundits demanding parents keep their kids away from the Barbie movie. Fat chance of that, I'd say. Come into my weird house. Hi. I'm Weird Barbie. I am in the splits. I have a funky haircut and I smell like basement. Oh, my God. I had a weird Barbie. Yeah, you did. You make them weird by playing too hard. It's cool. Director Greta Gerwig's charm in her films, Lady Bird, Little Women and now Barbie, lies on the fact that, as the old song puts it, she enjoys being a girl. 
Yes, she's concerned about social justice, feminism, sexism and the rest, but her films are just as much about mothers and daughters, childhood fantasies and favourites, and finding ways for us to get along. If I wasn't severely injured, I would beat you off right now, Ken. I'll beat you off with you any day, Ken. Anyone who wants to beat him off has to beat me off first. I will beat both of you off at the same time. Beat both of us off? Nobody's going to beat anyone off. Star Margot Robbie is the best thing in the movie, of course, though curiously there's a lot of early Oscar buzz going to Ryan Gosling's performance. To me, equal parts ham and cheese. In fact, Gosling's presence, along with Will Ferrell, seems to underline Barbie's, if not influences, then certainly predecessors. The Lego movie, La La Land and Don't Worry Darling leap to mind. Humans only have one ending. Get that Barbie! Ideas live forever. I understand the American far right is up in arms against Barbie. Too feminist, not blokey enough, if I can paraphrase. This is ridiculous, of course, like complaining there weren't enough women on the beaches of Dunkirk. It's clearly not for everyone, but it's not aiming at everyone. It's aiming at Barbie lovers, whether they know it or not. And Smithers, of course. You're going to start getting sad and mushy and complicated. She's not dead. She's just having an existential crisis. What about Ken? I'm just a dude. Ken isn't something we're worried about. What? The story of J. Robert Oppenheimer and the Manhattan Project, the top scientists who developed the atom bomb that ended the Second World War and started the Cold War, is hardly a new one. Oppenheimer himself was the subject of at least two previous movies, but it was never told like this. We imagine a future. And our imaginings horrify us. Christopher Nolan has set out to tell the story of physicist Oppenheimer, not just his wartime experiences, but the subsequent events that sullied his reputation from his own perspective. We see the world as he'd see it, a world of turmoil, of atoms colliding, of light, electricity and potential cataclysmic destruction. They won't fear it. Until they understand it. Understand it until they've used it. And Oppenheimer wouldn't be a Nolan film if it didn't muck about with timelines. You can't say you weren't warned, though. He sets up two hypotheses at the start, one called fission, the other fusion, even if, typically, he doesn't explain what he means. This is a national emergency. Didn't need a charge. Well, let me assist Nolan acolytes by saying they seem to be linked to two timelines, one covering events leading up to the atom bomb dropped on Japan in 1945. The other is ten years later at the height of the notorious communist scare in the United States, when Oppenheimer finds himself uncomfortably on the wrong side of history. Theory will take you only so far. Can be trusted with such a weapon. 
There's a lot to unpack and Nolan isn't one to oversimplify. Oppenheimer, played very well by Killian Murphy, was a gifted physicist, one of the few Americans to understand and promote a brand new theory, quantum mechanics. He also, like many American intellectuals in the 1930s, dabbled briefly with communism, though he was too smart and arrogant to be wedded to politics of any stripe until politics was forced on him. Is anyone ever going to tell the truth? The war made neutrality inconceivable to Oppenheimer, who was Jewish, like most of the top physicists of the time, we're told. And physicists on both sides were ordered to build the still-theoretical atomic superbomb. We're in a race against the Nazis. And I know what it means. If the Nazis have a bomb. The job of putting together a team of America's top scientists under Oppenheimer falls to a military man, General Groves, Matt Damon, in another terrific performance. His task is made harder because the qualities that make a great scientist are rarely teamwork or unquestioning respect for authority. We have a 12-month head start. 18. How could you possibly know that? We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. Secret laboratory. Quantum physics, international politics in two conflicting eras. Christopher Nolan, as always, tackles big issues and requires us to pay attention. And the way he keeps audiences on track is often through one of the simplest and least subtle techniques in the movies. Old-fashioned star power. Thanks for convening a short notice. I can't believe it. Well, here we are. This is atomic test. The Russians have a bomb. For example, when a young Oppenheimer goes to a party and runs into Florence Pugh in a seemingly small, unimportant role, we know to keep an eye out for her later. Same when Robert Downey Jr. meets him at a university gathering wearing unflattering glasses and a wig that screams unscrupulous 50s Republican. We're supposed to be years ahead of them, but... What were you guys doing in Los Alamos? And how many people were in these uh, open discussions? And keeping the two timelines separate before and after the war requires a cunning use of colour and monochrome and some dazzling non-digital special effects, both sound and vision. During the war, Oppenheimer is not only struggling to perfect the bomb before Hitler gets his hands on it, he's also fighting a government who are determined to keep it from their nominal allies, the Russians. So now the race is against the Soviets. Not unless we start it. Robert, they just fired... Starting gun. After the war, Oppenheimer, now an opponent of any escalation of nuclear weapons, runs into implacable hostility from right-wing politicians led by Senator Louis Strauss, Robert Downey Jr. By the early 50s, even a sniff of anti-nuclear sentiment is shorthand for treason. 
from being the hero of the war, Oppenheimer is in danger of disgrace. This is a matter of life and death. I can perform this miracle. World War II would be over. Our boys would come home. That's happening, isn't it? Of course, watching Oppenheimer, we have the benefit of hindsight, even if most of us aren't over-familiar with the details. We can watch the countdown to the first explosion with rather more confidence than the people about to press the button. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want from theory alone? Zero would be nice. And similarly, when Oppenheimer and his friends are being hounded by Strauss, Senator Joe McCarthy and the rest, we have a pretty good idea how it'll come out. Who are you likely to go with? Robert Oppenheimer and Albert Einstein or Robert Downey Jr. and his Republican hairdo? You are the man who gave them the power to destroy themselves. And the world is not prepared. With so many characters to keep up with, Nolan's intelligent use of stars like Emily Blunt, Kenneth Branagh, Downey, Damon and, in a neat little turn, Tom Conti as Einstein makes sure we stay this side of getting lost. That can sometimes be difficult when you're dealing with people like this. At least half a dozen characters in Oppenheimer are geniuses or near geniuses. Build a town, build it fast. We don't let scientists bring their families. We'll never get the best. Why would we go to the middle of nowhere for who knows how long? Killian Murphy certainly has the most riding on his shoulders, playing the hard-to-know Oppenheimer, gifted scientist, womanising dilettante with a noticeably flexible conscience. But he's often shown at his best advantage against less conflicted characters, like Emily Blunt as his no-nonsense wife and Matt Damon as his exasperated boss. Why? Why? How about because this is the most important thing to ever happen in the history of the world? You're the great improviser, but this you can't do in your head. There's a telling moment when, after the war, Oppenheimer meets President Truman and shares his doubts about the bomb. Truman is contemptuous, later calling him a crybaby. Is that true? It feels true, and one of Oppenheimer's themes is the division of power in the world between the gifted and the limited people in charge of them. Our work here will ensure a peace mankind has never seen. Until somebody builds a bigger one. So is there a message here about the film industry? The talented visionaries dependent on greedy opportunists? Maybe so, but the good news is that sometimes, even if it's just for a week or so, the talented people come out on top. And with two great new films in our cinemas this week, that's a good note on which to finish this show. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 